Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 88 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's a podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it is only the most sensual, experiential, emotional, spiritual, physical, everything else you will being that one can possibly achieve in this life. And how do you do that, you ask? Well, it's very, very simple. you just got to watch every movie the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage, has ever made. And here we are at episode 88, and uh, wow, what what a ridiculous week it has been for your boy. Uh, so if you've been following me on the socials, you will know that this week I had the massive honour of uh, being invited to a VIP multimedia screening for the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, I got to see that this week, rub shoulders with some influencers and film industry top dogs, some top hogs, if you will. And, uh, you know, amazing. Uh, what what an experience. So uh, thank you so much to the lovely people at Lionsgate who have made this happen. And to previous guest Kat Hughes, who hooked you boy up uh, with the deets that were needed to get this ball rolling. Uh, obviously, I can't say too much at the moment. Um, if you want my spoiler-free thoughts, you can check out my letterboxed, which is in the description down below. Um, but I think you're really, really going to like this film. So, so good. There are still some massive things to come on the podcast that I cannot wait to share with you soon. However, let's keep ourselves grounded. Let's get off that high horse and down to solid ground. This week episode 88 we turn our attentions to the 2019 movie running with the devil this week i was joined by tammy one half of the internal cauldron of emotions podcast a fellow nick cage podcast two girls who like to drink and review nick cage movies going through their own journey spinning their cajun roulette wheel of what film to watch next and what drink is going to be paired with it it's lovely lovely stuff go check them out links in the description down below uh, and we had a wonderful time talking about running with the devil uh, we took into a number of things nicholas cage we talk about the drugs we talk about pegging as well we've got a little bit of everything for everyone in this episode but you can absolutely adore it and i had a wonderful wonderful time putting this one together uh, so as ever links in the description down below if you've enjoyed the podcast please do give it a like on the socials uh, follow it and like it and all the places that you listen to podcasts as well it's greatly appreciated and i always appreciate your time but with that said and done let's get into this one it's daryl and it's danny and it's running with the devil Duh. 
we reach the halfway point of Cage's 2019 this week with the crime thriller Running With The Devil. Here, Cage stars as The Cook, a drug cartel henchman who is sent on a dangerous trip to audit the supply line when a shipment is compromised. Now joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if the devil is in the details or if this movie is one to be running away from is Tammy from the Internal Cauldron of Emotion podcast. Tammy, thank you for joining. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. This is our first uh, collaboration with a fellow Nick fan. So really excited and thank you for having us. Absolute pleasure. Always, uh, always an extra pleasure to have um, Cage fans on this uh, ridiculous journey to true Cage Diviner, <laughs> as I've dubbed it for two years now. Um, so, always interested when kicking off these episodes to um, ask, and I think I may possibly suspect the answer here, but for, for yourself, uh, Tammy, uh, Nick Cage, rate, hates, tolerates, uh, where do you? stand on the man that I've dubbed the golden hog of Hollywood. Um, I 100% agree with you with your depiction of him. He really is, uh, as we call him on our show um, that I I do with my bestie, Erin, she wasn't able to make it today. We call him the true national treasure. Um, He, you know, as that saying goes, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. That's how Nick Cage movies are you really don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes it's absolutely amazing out of nowhere, like recently pig. And sometimes it's like this one running with the devil. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always a roller coaster, but it's a fun roller coaster. It's an exciting chocolate filled roller coaster. (laughs) Sometimes you might get a nice caramel. Sometimes you get um, a a sneaky hazelnut, I call them. Um, (laughs) Or just just a bit of a plain chocolate as well. Yeah. Um, so running with the devil. Um, this comes in the middle of Cage's twenty nineteen. Uh, for you, was this one that you'd heard of before? Is it one that you'd seen before? Uh, we came to this record today. It is one that I had seen and heard of when I pick films, and I think it would be the same uh, for Aaron as well. We usually will see a Nick film at this point. And kind of dub it, is it going to be this wild, wacky situation in a good way or a bad way? You know, like when you read the description of Pig, it sounds like it's John Wick, but with a pig. Mm -hmm. And then it's Nick Cage. And you're like, this is going to be great. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, wow, this was definitely different and even much better than I expected. So we're usually looking for something that either seems incredibly off the wall like prisoner's ghostland or something that might be where he actually showcases his acting talent i typically stay away from the crime cop kind of films because i i usually feel like they're probably just going to be okay so it's not something that i seek out so it was on the radar we know that we're going to have to cover it as well on our podcast we do a thing we call it cajun roulette where we've put all of his <laughs> movies and I we just that. hit a button and it's it's exciting if it's not your turn to lead the discussion but if it's your turn to lead the discussion you're like oh my god please don't let me get something like left behind or something <laughs> oh man left behind there's a film that I've, <laughs> I've no person should see that more than zero times and i've seen it 
I think I've watched it twice, and one of those was willingly. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. I've avoided it like the plague, but I know it's going to get us. <laughs> and I've, I've said it before, Left Behind 2014. And it's a film, as bad as it is, I kind of really, <laughs> really enjoy talking about it because it's, it's so bad. <laughs> it comes as part of a 2014, which I think for me, arguably, 2014 is possibly Cage's worst year, pound for pound. Um, not just because of 2014, there was some other guff out there as well, but um, there was Dying of the Light, Outcast, Rage. Right. Left, left Behind kind of swallowed it all. <laughs> Seals the deal on that year. <laughs> we kind of have to um, put it in a cursed box, 2014, and put it in the back of a cupboard somewhere. Exactly. Um, but, but the 2010s in general, and at this point, we're, we're sort of slowly... Coming out of it, there's um, we're almost punching through and digging out of this prison. The 2010s have been kind of, for the majority, littered with straight to DVD stuff. 2019, sort of, um, no different really. It's coming on the back of um, a slightly better 2018, where we've had the likes of Mandy and Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Absolutely. Uh, and then 2019 is kind of a, I think it's fair to say. A slightly better straight-to-DVD return to form compared to something that's come before. Um, Possibly, but let us not forget that that's also... Isn't that the year the Grand Isle came out? And I think Humanity Bureau, like, those are the two that really pull that year down. We had Color Out of Space, and that's when I was thinking, oh, this is it. This is, you know, his golden age. And then you have movies like this one <laughs> or, or grand isle is one of the most terribly disastrous great things to watch ever <laughs> uh yeah i mean 2019 grand isle rounded off 2019 for cage um color out of space and running with the devil pretty much slap bang in the middle color out of space right. being the only film that wasn't straight to video yes the saving grace <laughs> Uh, the fortunately a saving grace for 2019. Um, <laughs> but with a few exceptions, a lot of his 2019 stuff was quite similar. I mean, A School to Settle, Running mm. with the Devil, um, to an extent, yeah. Kill Chain. Um, I mean, I said it on, um, uh, well, by the time this comes out, a previous episode when this was covered, that I very nearly watched um, A Score to Settle because I kept, I kept confusing A Score to Settle with Running with the Devil because one, they rhyme... Oh. They <laughs> do, <laughs> and it, and it's just a sort of action centric plots. Um, so even now, I can't quite tell which film I'm talking about today. So I might, <laughs> I might, I might just stop and dribble at certain points, and then feel free to pad for time and cover. We'll we'll fix it in the edit. That's right. <laughs> um, but running with the devil. Um, this is a first time watch for me. Um, was it uh, was it a first time watch for you as well? It was, yeah. Like I said, I, I knew it existed, and I knew at some point I'd have to watch it, but it wasn't something that I was super excited about. So <laughs> I waited until the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those films that um, again, like I'm saying, with a lot of the films at this time frame, when you sort of go on them. Uh, the Wikipedia filmography of Nicolas Cage, and you're like, oh, there's mm-hmm. there are a lot of films I recognise, and then from 2014 onwards, you're like, what? 
what is yeah. any what is any of this <laughs> and <laughs> and they do feel very similar and it's frustrating because when i got into nick i'm an 80s kid so i was enjoying the 90s versions of all of his action films and they're great like how can you not like face off or rock or you know um con air and so you know that that exists and then you see him and think oh well he's only aged and matured like a fine wine these new action films should be great but they don't always hit the mark. They can't all be winners, as we say on our show. <laughs> <laughs> they can't all be winners, but I have to maintain at this point the illusion that he's never made a bad film. Um, That's true. I, <laughs> I mean, it's not he's got, his fault. <laughs> he's got bad films, but he's also never made a bad film. This, uh, this is uh, the complexity of Cage, which uh, philosophers and film historians will be ruminating on for generations <laughs> to come and using our podcasts as measuring sticks. True. Yes, we're we're going down in history for sure. <laughs> um, so went into this one as with the majority of Cage films, uh, almost entirely blind. I think I'd seen the poster for this one, so I knew that Lawrence Fishburne was in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then going into this, I watched the trailer for it. I tried to get as little information as possible, um, and from the trailer, I was like. Nicolas Cage is dressed exactly the same as Walter White. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it it kind of, uh, you know, and obviously we'll, we'll sort of get into it in a bit more detail, but it kind of felt to me as a brief overview that it was kind of like they were trying to do a more explosive and action-packed condensation of Breaking Bad into, like, 90 minutes. Um, I I don't know if anything similar came across for you. Yeah, definitely. When I watched it, it, he definitely had the Walter uh, White vibes immediately. And then as the story went on, interestingly enough, before we even see him, I 100% assumed this was a cop movie because Nick often plays cops. So... In that poster, you see him, and although he doesn't have any identifying insignia, like he, it's a bay shirt and a black jacket, and that looks like you know some undercover detective or some DEA agent. That's what I assume. And then Lawrence Fishburne's in the back, you know, with his his pistol showing, and it's like he's a wild card. Maybe he's the bad cop. Maybe you know, maybe he's not. Um, and then you get it, and you're like, oh, I I was completely wrong about what was happening with this. And then as the story progresses, I felt this was very much like the director saw the uh, old movie from the 2000s, Traffic, which is yeah. almost the same story, and was like, I'm going to do that, but try to make it better. <laughs> uh, well, this was from uh, director and writer Jason um, Cable, or Cabell, hopefully pronouncing mm-hmm. one of those correctly. I believe this was his first solo feature as a writer and director. He'd worked on a 2016 feature called Smoke-Filled Lungs before, but mm-hmm. um, for the second outing, secured cage, uh, big bag, big fish, the biggest fish Oh yeah, um, that you could get as well. But um, I, I do agree from the poster alone. I think I... And maybe this is kind of just, I guess, in my head, the pre-expectations of similar films that have been done. Mm-hmm. I I was kind of thinking on a similar line that they were going to be uh, like the cops in this. Because um, I'm sort of, I'm looking at the poster on my, on my phone now and it's like, um, it's them sort of standing looking off the distance. Lawrence Fishburne's got a gun in his hand. They've both got shades on. There's a chopper uh-huh. in the background. Uh, there's two army individuals in the background as well. So I was thinking that these are going to be some kind of... Um, 
like down but dirty DEA right. agents. Um, and I I couldn't have been more wrong. Exactly. Um, for these characters. And when I think about it now, in my mind, this this poster looks very similar to the Frozen Ground poster, where he was the heroic officer of that film, you know, because it's got both of them sort of back to back and everything's happening in the background. There's probably a helicopter back there. It's, I feel like definitely the more you think about it, the more you're like, wow, this movie is very similar to this idea or this idea or that idea. But, you know, at the same time, would I make a better movie? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that. you know, we always say it's um, it's easy to sort of judge, but until we're there with exactly. Nicolas Cage shaking hand, then what do we know? <laughs> we're just we're just people with our with our our Nicolas Cage podcasts. Um, exactly. God, God damn it! Um, <laughs> now I was I was kind of interested to talk about the beginning of this film as well um, because it. it opens very there's a lot of stuff that happens in the opening here like in the uh i think the first five minutes maybe not even five minutes um first of all the film is opening with a naked sort of bound and gagged individual being dragged out of a bathroom and then we see a fire and then we're in a nightclub and there's people like bumping drugs and then we're in mexico with choppers and snipers taking out a convoy and i was like I can't make notes as fast as this film. <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I kept having to hit pause. I'm like, this train is going way too fast. <laughs> it's out of control. It was massively out of control. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy uh, a hot open for a film as much as the next person. But, um, you know, we're in like three different locations, potentially three different countries in the space of five minutes. I was like... I don't know what's going on. I'm immediately lost. Um, I'm I'm just, you know, a little tantalizing opening. The um the gagged body at the start was like, oh, okay, what's what's this? We're we're, right. we're we're starting dark here, and then when you're kind of getting accustomed to, oh, maybe this is going to be the uh, that that dark underbelly of the drug crime scene. Not that there's ever a light belly to it. Um, it's true. <laughs> so, it's darker, a, darker. <laughs> it's like Batman. It has to get darker and darker until it's just a exactly. black screen. Exactly. Um, and then suddenly we're, we're like dumps, 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 dumps in a nightclub, and I was like, I have a headache. Right. Um, how how did you sort of feel about the opening as well? Very much the same because you know I'm like uh, like you said oh this is obviously opening up someone has done something he's probably you know a, a rat or something and it's not just that they're executing this person um, they're barbecuing this person they're setting them on fire it's you know it's a lot and then like you said two minutes into it now we're at a club and and I get that clearly they're trying to show what's happening at the same time in this industry but I also was very I think by the end the best way to describe my emotion was angry I was very angry (laughs) at the music because I feel music can fix so many things and so we go from somebody getting barbecued to the club and it's that you know like probably 2000 song from low fidelity um all stars which is a fun little song but i feel like we're obviously not going to be showing anything good about 
the cocaine industry, you could have chosen a darker, better, more, you know, like more encompassing kind of techno music. We expect that, you know, like there's going to be clubs, we're going to see girls, we're going to hear techno, but I feel like a lot of stitching these very short, sporadic scenes could have been done better with music and made it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. And also, shame on the film industry for not showing the cocaine industry in a positive light for a change. I know. How dare you guys? <laughs> There's got to. We have to find the positive in everything, right? <laughs> uh, I've been I, I've been begging for the pros of the of the cane industry for years now, and uh, running with the devil just does not deliver. Um, but it's like a very. Uh, a very hot start. You don't get time to sort of find your footing at all. Um, and I think this is kind of one of the uh, sort of longer running, I guess, issues with the movie as well, because it has like three or four different characters' plot lines, which some kind of intersect towards right at the end, but um, especially at the start, we're just jumping around so much. Um, it's hard to keep tabs on things, and then also as well, um, it, it's kind of kind of difficult to know who's who because if you look at the um, the casting as well, there's no names. Right. Uh, Nick Cage is the cook. Lawrence Fishburne is uh, the man. There's Clifton Collins as the farmer. Leslie Bibb as agent in charge. Um, there's Adam Goldberg as the snitch. Uh, there's someone else as uh, the boss, the executioner, the number yeah. one. Um, so it's, Which it's, is quite ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I, I again, I I understand what we were trying to do there in the film, kind of like a Tarantino, Guy Ritchie sort of situation, but it just feels very forced, and it was it was tough to follow all of that. And and all the scenes are so very short. The second that you see someone, it almost is like the characters couldn't even have proper time to act. And make you feel like they're in their role because the scenes were so short and choppy. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's I think thinking about it now, like that's that's completely correct. So many of the scenes were just so uh so short. Um it, it kind of felt like there was never more than five or ten minutes for a scene. There's no time to really let anything breathe because it, it definitely felt like there was an effort to keep things moving at like a frenetic pace and Again, sometimes that can absolutely work. Sometimes things mm-hmm. can can just like motor, motor, motor. But when things just feel, when you're kind of like immediately confused in the first five minutes because you've already had four different scenes in five minutes and um, all of these different elements going along, it it kind of felt like, and I think you said it earlier, like I had to pause the film. Like I felt like I was playing catch up. <laughs> Yes. with with a lot of the film as well um and it's kind of a shame because it's not it's not you know as we'll get into like the, the best film in the world by any stretch but um i didn't think like the performances were necessarily that bad um i mean again as i think as, as you touched on because the, the scenes are so choppy 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 uh quick 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 um we don't get a lot of time with people and there's a lot of characters who don't who become very one note, I think, is kind of um, mm-hmm. an unintentional fault of the film. Um, like Cage, for instance, he's kind of just like Walter White in Heisenberg mode. 
but kind of diluted throughout the whole film. Lawrence Fishburne as the man is just drugged all the time. Yeah, stereotypical. <laughs> very, you know, very cliche. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to sort of say that with, like, with, with the characters, um, were there, and, and obviously Cage aside, come on, who are we talking about? Was, was there anyone that sort of like, um, I guess, stood out for you or you thought you could connect with more or was it kind of a, a blanket case for everyone that was trying to latch on to something? I I was very excited when I saw Lawrence Fishburne because he's another actor that I really um, enjoy. And it was cool because they've been in films together throughout their histories as well. Um, and again, I kind of expected that he would also be a cop or maybe a dirty cop. So seeing him as this, you know, coked out dealer was definitely different than some of the things that I've seen him in. Um, and in a weird way, I feel like his performance almost outshined even Nick because Nick was very reserved. Nick was kind of playing this role of I'm a family man stuck in the bowels of, you know, cocaine industry kind of thing. So he was very subdued where Lawrence Fishburne's running around in some crazy montages with girls and, you know, doing his, like, I just got laid dances and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it, it was, it was definitely, this one was not what I expected in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Again, bang on the money. Um, so it's like I said, I think Lawrence Fishman's character, um, who was just dubbed the man, I think he's given a lot more to do and mm-hmm. does as much as he can as the film and sort of script allows into um but there was kind of elements for both the characters especially um fishburns and cages which i think could have been explored more to give us more i don't know if a character more humanity to them because obviously cage's character has um a pregnant wife who's mm-hmm. kind of on screen for barely a minute in right. total um i think her dialogue just amounts to it's like Oh, you're wearing the necklace. Is it work? And then mm-hmm. later on, it's—I don't even know. I kind of checked out by the end, so I don't know what she's—I don't know what she said at the yeah, end. Yeah, something like "I'm glad you're alive," kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I think he just looked, he looked at her and said, "Thank you, wife," which is <laughs> tantamount to all that her character did. Um, but there was those those elements that he kind of had this uh, daytime cover job as like a chef. Um, mm-hmm. And then Lawrence Fishburne had that sort of fractured relationship with, I assume, um, an ex-wife and sort of an estranged daughter. He misses that piano recital because he's uh, too busy getting high. And as you said, there's that montage of him taking drugs. And I think it's just him and two sex workers are just pegging each other for yeah <laughs> for a few and it's, funky minutes. And it's weird because they're slowed down and it's this slow song and it's it's not something that I really want to see in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> it's um you know, how do how do you present pegging to a mainstream audience? That's that's, that's the question we we're asking now, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean when I promote this, I'll just put hashtag pegging to try and get some people <laughs> get some people in. And then I can say, no, technically we did talk about it. Um, so this isn't false advertising, peg fans out there. Um, but again, it seemed like there was just a lot of elements that they 
it felt a lot like afterthoughts, the sort of behind the scenes afterlives of these characters that could have been explored more because the film was, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird to know exactly what they were going for or how it came across, but it's like, um, you know, for the journeys of these two characters especially, and the film almost becomes less about them and it's more about the journey of mm-hmm. cocaine um it was kind of like a cocaine origin story um yeah <laughs> in a way in my notes i put this is like the oregon trail of how cocaine works because <laughs> you know there's literally a little map with your little red dots like boop 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 now we're in a different country and you see how the price rises every time i guess another step in the process is completed um and all the things that go wrong with it along the way uh so i think it goes from like what to two grand to like uh, 34 by the end of it to 34 yeah, grand per kilo something very very high by the time it reaches i think canada which also confused me why we were going all the way to canada i feel like there were plenty of buyers in the u.s that would have liked to stop along the way but I guess Canada is somehow holy grail of highest price. <laughs> Maybe that is. It's uh, the uh, the haven of Canada is where uh, Co-Canada is, is, as they call it on the streets. <laughs> so I think it's 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 almost the film's chart in the uh, like the vicious cycle of of uh, the cocaine industry. But it, like it's they're dealing with it in America, but then it goes to Colombia, then it has to go through the Mexican border and then it goes back into America to be marched through Canada where I think the boss is based. Um, but, but this is, this is kind of what I mean. It's, it's like the, the characters are just conduits for the story of uh, yeah. the, uh, the grand old story of cocaine to progress, but it's kind <laughs> of, I don't know. Again, I think obviously obvious comparison, like breaking bad, it's kind of just not that interesting compared to what, I think I think the film thinks it's more interesting when it gives the little typography on screen going like cocaine twenty one k per kilo twenty nine k per okay. kilo and thirty four k delivered and every time it went up and I was like okay right but I have no idea why it went up and it's not something that I particularly care to know I don't want to you know be a cocaine like connoisseur for the rest of my life but you see in the film that it goes to a place someone gets some money, someone does something in a warehouse, and then it goes up in value kind of thing. So I think you're right in that it's more about the journey of this process, but it doesn't explain the process, perhaps because it's the same way why we don't, you know, explain how to make explosions in movies, because we don't want people making explosions. But I do feel like there could have been some sort of detail. So we understood it since that was more of the focal point. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, talking about it now, it it, um, it kind of makes me think of the opening of um, Cage's film Lord of War when the, the very start mm-hmm. of that film, it's it's the life cycle of a bullet from manufacture right. to being shot into a child soldier. And it's kind of like um, in two minutes, the opening of Lord of War does what Running With exactly. the Devil is trying to do, but it's just a lot more fascinating on the take with it um so i suppose the message is here is just steal from other films 
uh, the, the, don't don't dare trying to be original anymore and uh, we we will not stand for it um so sort of looking at um sort of Lawrence Fishburne's character as well um, and as he touched on earlier as well this sort of reunites uh Lawrence and Nick for the first time since uh Rumblefish in 83 and the Cotton Club in 84 so it's been at this point about 35 36 years since they've worked right. together uh, they've both done a lot in that time apart. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> there's been some Con Airs and some Matrixes and a few <laughs> a few different things. So they've they've certainly had some careers in that time as well. Um and I I, I do enjoy me some Lawrence Fishburne. He's he's um certainly one of those actors when um I think anytime he's in he's in anything, you know, for me I'm still at that age where it's like Hey, it's Morpheus! Yay! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he he will always be like Morpheus to me. Um, but here, I think he's um, perfectly watchable in this. Again, sort of does mm-hmm. as much as he can with the script given. Um, but a lot of it, again, I thought was kind of just like, um, oh, drugs, drugs, drugs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's like okay, like I, I, I get it. The film is central about cocaine, but like, is there any, is there anything else you can sort of tell me? Um, how was sort of uh, his his performance and his sort of character in this for you as well? I think, like you said, because it's almost like two films. They were they wanted to show how all these people were interconnected, but that didn't work because it was so short-lived in between each shot and they were also trying to do this really detailed journey of how everything works but that just seemed sort of drawn out it's hard to really get anything from any of the characters like you mentioned some of the characters like I was very excited to see Leslie Bibb but she's the very stereotypical I'm just a girl cop in a boy cop kind of world and I'm going to get you and it was the same thing with Lawrence Fishburne he was the struggling dad he while he's getting high while there's a a dead you know girl in one room and one barely alive in you know in the room is like I have to go to this piano recital and those are two very extreme things to think about where I just had this insane night um, with drugs and girls and now I have to go take care of my daughter and watch that it just so forced but it was a really good scene when you see him and presumably the ex-wife and the daughter because you start to see some emotion where obviously the ex-wife is really upset because he doesn't end up making it he gets to last minute and the daughter is very disappointed and there's almost feelings and then it's boom another shot kind of thing <laughs> yeah again that's that's just part of the issue with this um yeah is that it's um everything is and whether this was intentional or not, for better or worse, everything is kind of secondary to um, uh, the drug trade and the business with the cartel as well. And this is kind of another issue, um, or sorry, an- another thing with uh, in certain movies where I think movies would just work better if it was like um, like a TV series or something, because there's clearly mm-hmm. uh, clearly a wider world here and wider stories with the characters, and there's backgrounds that we don't get to see um and and like I said it's kind of like I think if I think off the top of my head here it's like there's only three real moments especially with Lawrence Fishburne's character 
where we get to see more of that, um, I guess, the man behind the man, if you will. Right. Where it's, <laughs> um, it's one, obviously, that scene where he's late for the recital and... Um, Obviously, he's he's messed up again. He's messed up big time, and uh, they don't want anything to do with him. He tries to just give them some money, and then and just mm-hmm. she throws the money back at him, um, and he's kind of just left, just standing there, defeated, looking like hot garbage. Um, yeah, on, on, on the hottest summer's day. <laughs> and then there's obviously I know going back to it. There's uh, the <laughs> the pegging montage, um, <laughs> which like it, it's one of the, the sort of shots which I thought like. It did. It did stand out the way it was done. It was something a little different in the film. Uh, again, not that I'm calling for there to be a pegging scene in every film. I think <laughs> pegging has, you know, pegging has its has its purpose and its time and its place. Um, and then there's that bit towards the end where him and Cage are sort of trekking mm-hmm. through the snowy mountains to get to the Canadian border, and they have that um, sit down, um, and it's only a brief conversation. I like that. It's always kind of feels a bit, I don't know, uh, dismissive to the audience when they try to explain yeah. a character motivation in a sentence and be like, well, we said it, what more yeah, do you absolutely. want? Yeah, um, absolutely. And they have that whole thing where he's kind of like, um, oh, I, I didn't come to you for help. I got addicted and that was just kind of the end of it. And they're like, oh, just eat your banana. We've got to do some more walking now. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's a great line where he's like to to Cage, he's like, "You've always had your shit together," kind of thing. But I I, I messed up, and you want to hear more of that. You want to see the two of them together because that's kind of why you watch the whole movie. That's what the poster made you think was that we're going to get to see them together, and mm-hmm. you get about thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's such a shame. It's so. Um unfortunately short-lived their time together because uh you know we come back to the the, the, that ruddy deceptive poster which made you think we're going to get this whole (laughs) not buddy cop thing but these two sort of um partners in some form of avenue and that's one of the most interesting parts of the movie is where they're having that um kind Mm -hmm. of heart to heart in the in the snowy wilderness of the of the whichever national park it was (laughs) close one of those thousands of national parks y'all have got over there. Um, because there's clearly, again, there's clearly a backstory there. These characters clearly have history and um, it makes it seem clear that they've both, um, not not tried to glamorise this, but they've come up in the drug trade together and they've clearly gone two separate ways. <laughs> um, and he's gone on this path where he's, he probably feels like he's a bigger dealer than what he is, and he's relegated mm-hmm. to sort of trying to make his own side project of drugs, but he just keeps right. killing sex workers. Um, but as you said, it's just one. He's going to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what, what's what's what, what's one sex worker between drug friends, right? Between drug <laughs> colleagues. Um, there was an interesting story of him trying to start this new sort of side business, and then. Obviously, there's something interesting in the, um, or for me, it felt like there would be something interesting in the rise of Cage to, you know, this Walter White figure who's, again, mm-hmm. sort of very dangerous, has a gun on him. He's now basically the boss's, like, first or second in command. Um, I think, you know, based on what we've been discussing about, it's probably the likely answer. But did did you feel there would have been something just much more interesting in the histories 
of these characters as opposed to just, I guess, are so strictly dealing in the present with this movie. Absolutely. And, and I think we keep, you know, kind of talking about the shots and how they put everything together. I think the purpose was to be more of in the moment, fast paced kind of thing. And that makes it cool. And that makes it gritty, but that's hard to make a movie. If you're going to do something like that, there needs to be a lot more gunfights and car chases and explosions. Cause that that movie works but for something like this it would have been better to focus instead of on six different people two different cops you know different dealers the snitch and all that to choose you know maybe two or three and you could still show that route like I I think it would have been great with maybe you know the the farmer the you know cage and and Fishburn and maybe just DEA in general every once in a while they're trying to get a little bit closer but then you could have seen how it connects on that more deeper past level and how as as we look at it why would you want to go into that industry how they get stuck in that industry and how they can't go out you know I, I really appreciated the farmer's tale because you see him and he's doing this for his family and he's doing a a very dangerous thing where he has to trek through and people are trying to attack him because they know that he has the raw cut of it and he's making something that ends up being 30 to forty thousand dollars per kilo at the end but him and his wife and his two children live in what looks like a one-bedroom house you know Mm -hmm. that needs to be that could be explored because you know showing how these low-level workers take so much risk that are exploited and that's something that transitions to lots of things not even illegal practices like that and it's just a shame that we couldn't get more of the deeper things and I think you know like I said previously this film reminded me of trying to be like that 2000s movie Traffic and Traffic really nailed it I mean you know like it won a lot of awards Benicio Del Toro I think won an Oscar for his performance as Denark like it's like running with the devil try to be like that but also throw in action and it was just it was just too much too much in the pot yeah absolutely it's um you know cage takes a lot of room in the pot um you know that's that's cage is a half the pot serving in in any uh in any kitchen um <laughs> exactly <laughs> if you ask me um but it, again exactly with what you were saying there this is kind of to continue the analogy, it's kind of a, a too many cooks situation, mm-hmm. um, and you sort of get it with films like this. Unfortunately, where it's kind of they feel that more characters means a bigger world, and, and um, there's a better and tighter film in here. Um, again, we start with the story of the farmer. I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, you don't mm-hmm. you don't always see that perspective um, of the guy who's out there in. Uh, Columbia with his partner sort of making the cocaine from scratch and um I know I started to like touch on what you said earlier. we're not we're not asking for a recipe we're not right we're, we're not promoting cocaine or trying to hint that we're interested we're just <laughs> saying from a media perspective come on people come on um but that that was you know very interesting and there's that part where he's confronted by those two guys mm-hmm. um and I suppose with the film's with almost every character's willingness in this film to kill quicker than ask questions, it's like mm-hmm. okay, you know, it's an ex- uh, a dangerous world, an explosive world, but also, you know, 
how do the characters get to this point where it's gun first, right. no remorse, um, straight down the trigger? Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I look, scan through my notes here and I see all these um, characters who didn't need to be so folkly in the film. They had like three different drug runners. Um, there mm-hmm. was the. There was a the trucker guy as well. There was that whole scene where I think I think by this point Cage's character is in Mexico. He's with the boss's second, who may have been called the executioner, may have I been think- called number one. I have no idea who he was. <laughs> I'm just, just brutish guy, um, right? Because <laughs> they it. Now I'm trying to remember like this series of events. Like he. Meets the farmer and says, you're working with me now. Then there's a delivery to a nightclub. Um, the drug runner in there gets jumped. They steal the kilo. And then they take it somewhere else to this other cartel mafia guy's place. And they pay off a trucker to take it through the border. And then there's other gang members on the border who tried to kill the trucker. But the trucker kills one of them. And then the mm-hmm. police are killed. And the gang takes the role of the police. And then the cook comes and runs them over and then the trucker goes and pegs a sex worker. There's so much pegging in this film. There is. Uh, <laughs> if that's your thing, you're going to enjoy that part. <laughs> Has- hashtag it's pegging. Hashtag pegging. God damn it. If the, this, is the, this is my takeaway. Cocaine and pegging. I sound like I need help. Um, but there's just... That whole sequence of trying... Of the, the trucker and the border and stuff. Um, so many little things were happening and it mm-hmm. was like they're saying and the film does do this a few times with varying levels of success where it tries to throw um a lot of like not massive twists there are some bigger mm-hmm. twists but a lot of like smaller sudden like little curveballs where i think it's trying to get you on the edge of the seat kind of stuff but um again i felt because i was playing such catch up that nothing ever really hit for me in terms of the twists um mm-hmm. But between all of the twists, like these these smaller ones at the border and um, the ones later on, like, oh, is Cage dead or isn't he? Um, and right. that twist, which kind of has, for me, had no real emotional resonance of the agent in charge. There's two dead people who, I believe it's her sister and, and mm-hmm. brother-in-law or something like that. Um, right. But it's only... It's almost missed that twist because it's just a little girl going, auntie, quite quietly. So it's like, you, you might miss it. Did any exactly. Of, did any of these twists um, sort of land for you at all? No, very much in the same way that you're explaining it. it it's The film was formulaic in that it was putting together a bunch of different kinds of films. So, you know, as soon as I saw the little girl... I thought, well, something's clearly wrong. She's too young, really, to be making her own food. And then I was like, well, maybe she's an independent little, you know, six-year-old. But you see the dishes are really dirty. And it's, you know, kind of everything just looks a little off. And then she makes her own lunch and she goes out. So like, well, obviously, you know, whoever's supposed to be taking care of her is dead. It, It wasn't hard for me to figure that out. And then we jumped to the DEA agent and they say the address. And she's like, wait what was that address? And then they're like, obviously she knows that person. And then she got, you know, so they were twists. And I guess 
I, I think I think everyone is sort of educated enough to to say, well, it's probably going to be this, or you know, I I, I don't care enough because I was getting more popcorn because at least <laughs> something good needs to come out of this movie kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And even the bigger twists, which I, I don't want to spoil too much at the end, but I kind of was like, mm, that's probably not the end of that storyline. And then a few minutes later, oh, surprise, surprise, you know, you you found a way to put it all together kind of thing. 100% it is the case that the little twists don't land and then the bigger twists are uh predictable and then sort of nothing mm-hmm. really has that like i said that emotional resonance to really hit you where the film thinks it's going to and i say there's nothing wrong with predictability if it makes sense um but i think you know as, as a viewer there's also got to be some kind of benefit for me to go through that twist as well and that impact and it's kind of a you know it, it's more like light jog with the devil as opposed to running with the devil <laughs> Um, <laughs> a brisk a brisk walk in the woods <laughs> a, a brisk walking walk in matching track suit with with the girls down the park with the devil is i love it is, is what i'd call it um and i suppose on on the subject of um uh leslie bibb's character as well um and, and the twist that we were sort of talking about there it's um it, i was I think even now I'm not really sure what to make of her character mm-hmm. because, you know, as with any film like this, it's going to have that uh, determined mm-hmm. um, enforcer of law, and there's always that one big case that they're trying to settle. So we sort of know that um, her and her partner have been on, um, I suppose, the man's trail for a while because he's been trying to make this off. Um, offcuts of the cocaine product. He's been splicing uh, some form of heroin in it. He's been trying to make that his own brand and that's been killing people and it's kind of like she's on the case until very suddenly her family are tragically involved and at that point it's like, oh now the stakes are real for me. Right. But that whole twist kind of comes so quickly and again for me it was kind of like they they don't really take the time to sort of linger on it except for that one shot we've seen in a thousand movies where the character's sitting down with her heads in the hands like <laughs> yeah. ah I now know that she's sad yes thank you for clarifying <laughs> <laughs> it it was like a character was kind of there again like um like an afterthought to like oh mm-hmm. I guess I guess we need a cop in this um like right. I guess we need stakes for our two leading characters but it was there was it kind of felt very empty um and no discredit to Leslie Bibb at all but the this is just a case of a film just having a character almost to meet meet a word count how it felt to me um how was sort of and it's it's such a weird title for a character, but how was um, Agent in Charge for you? Um, well, like I said, I love Leslie Bibb and she can be a real firecracker in a lot of movies. And so I thought, okay, you know, now I realize she's the cop, you know, cool, go cop, like, let's go girls. But, and again, actors can only do so much with their the lines that they're given and the story that they're given to try to portray. It's, 
they tried to do so much with maybe 15 minutes of the movie with her. They tried to make her, um, you know, immediately pulled in and have to deal with this family issue of how it is, like you said, tragically struck into her heart. And now she also has to, you know, worry about the child and how the child's going to get taken care of. But she's also an officer of the law and she doesn't have that kind of time. And, you know, she's torn between that, but you get 10 seconds to see that. And then we move on to it. And then, um, you know, she's trying to make these connections and you get a connection and, oh, no, they flew off in a plane kind of thing. And then the thing that really struck me about her character, but in the film overall, is you see her uh, torturing basically like the, the rat that's going to get her to the man. And I'm like, I know this is a movie, but also they're not allowed to do that. It may happen. I'm sure it happens. We all know there's good cop, bad cop, but you know, here she is now she's got her cute little pink sweaters off and she's got her cool black tank top and her black pants and she's <laughs> yeah. letting this guy get electrified and she's like I gotta take a call and you know there's a other a few other things where she takes dramatic but also very illegal action for an officer of the law yeah. and then that's you know that's just it kind of thing and and like it's it's like pulling in the well she's not going to be a good cop anymore she's going rogue kind of thing but with no thought, no struggle as a character. Like, I feel like the system isn't going to work. So I have to take matters into my own hand. It's just, you know, bang, bang, electrocute, electrocute kind of thing. And it's, it's tough because you want to see more. Exactly. Again, it's, um, as we've been saying with all the characters, I, it just felt we've, we've gone from like a step A to step F and we've missed yeah. a couple of steps in between here and uh, that scene where she's um uh torturing well the character known as the snitch uh played by um Adam Goldberg it it's kind of like okay but it, she has got him sort of connected to the death of her sort of family members but there wasn't that i guess natural ex escalation of um mm -hmm. the cop who steps over the line it was just well i guess it's time to kill um right. it was just a, a very sudden zero to 100 miles an hour um just racing forwards and it wasn't even like um they're taking the time to like it interrogate him in the police off in the police offices or done this kind of like whole stakeout thing and i'm saying this like i know the work that goes into being a right. police officer <laughs> outside of what i've seen depicted in tv and film um so this is i'm entirely basing my perception of police on hollywood thank you very much <laughs> um but again this is kind of the issue like the, the twist because she she steps over that line and she's you know, torturing this guy. He's just down there in just his underpants, and uh, he's he's chained up from a ceiling. He's clearly being tortured. Um, but then I kind of maybe about sociopath. I don't know. But this whole thing's <laughs> happening. But I was like, I don't, I don't feel like shocked. I don't feel like worried. I was like, oh my god, no, no she's 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 gone off the rails. There was just right. nothing um, in, in in terms of any of that, and I was kind of like. Again, that's kind of the issue with the film. It just doesn't allow you to um, process 
mm-hmm. anything that's going on because everyone's treated with such disregard that they could be thrown away at any moment. Right. Which was kind of the issue for me. And then the issue like with with the stitch because she he is her basically ticket to get to the man. Mm-hmm. But then even after that, he, the, you wouldn't know that he's been tortured because he's just the same after that as well. Right. He's the same sort of shaky, neurotic kind of guy he was because, you know, a day before he was on coke. And now he's that way because he got, you know, tortured. And and we find out later that, and, and I don't know if I had just sort of given up at that point of the movie and <laughs> was just like, I'm just, you know, going to go make a drink at this point. But yeah. she she does actually get to the man, Lawrence Fishborn, which should be like, huzzah, I did it. And I'm, I'm going to bring the things down. The dominoes are falling, but it's just, you blink and you miss it kind of thing. And you, you just can't catch your breath from everything that they're trying to put in to feel anything. Yeah, a hundred percent. Again, it's, you know, she gets to the stitch, which is like, oh, this is something Then she gets to the band, which should be a big moment, but then she's just, nothing really comes of it and all the characters kind of carried as they were and then eventually she does get to the boss as well um for kind of quite an undeserved confrontation really mm-hmm. and then he's just again you know kind of siding with the criminal here justifiably and sh- shittishly kind of like <laughs> and what are you going to do about it she just <laughs> just spits on his carpet flips him off and leaves <laughs> exactly so there's, there's, there's just no payoff for investing in any of the characters because it doesn't let you. Mm-hmm. And then the snitch gets taken out because the cook finds out, um, Cage's character finds out that he's now, well, earning his title as the snitch, which I suppose before <laughs> that, I suppose for half the film, he wasn't the snitch. He was just nervous that man, that guy. <laughs> um um, and then just another character comes to like clean his body away, and then they're in the the, the American Canadian wilderness, and then suddenly they've got a phone tracker on the man's phone as well. They know where he is, um, and and this is sort of where, it, as we were saying earlier, that the better points of the film, the interactions with Lawrence Fishburne, Nicholas Cage. Mm-hmm. All too brief, the snowmobiling through the snow, they got their army fatigues on, the hiking up the mountains, and I was like, yes, buddy movie, this is what I came for. <laughs> the last ten minutes, you're like, we did it, we got to that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we got to the top of this metaphorical mountain. Um, and then there was just... And then, you know, as it's getting towards the end of the film, I know they're like, oh, we, we, we've got to get to the cartel. We've got to make this delivery. We've got such mm-hmm. a tight window. Trying to force in more drama that you just don't really care about at that point. Right. And then Lawrence Fishburne slips in a ravine and loses his backpack. Um, I was like, what? And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then Nicolas Cage slips off a cliff and Lawrence Fishburne lets him fall to his uh, presumed death. And you're just like, oh, what? Um, (laughs) just again sudden these last minute twists as well so with that twist as well the whole did cage didn't cage die thing did again i've asked this question a lot and again i feel (laughs) i might know the answer but did that last sort of well it's not even the last one but let me rephrase one of the last 
Hail Mary twists. Did that sort of hit you at all? I, and again, I don't know if, because my attention span at that point had, had really, really suffered. And so, you know, I, I think my last thought before that scene was, good God, they literally put in every mode of transportation in this movie. Good for them. <laughs> we went from like walking to station wagons, to trucks, to now we're on snowmobiles. So that was impressive. Um, and then they're walking and then, you know, cage slips and, and my immediate thing is like, this is like Lion King. No, Mufasa. Um, and I, I, because we, we also know at this point that, uh, the cook cage knows that Lawrence Fishburne is doing all of this stuff, but Lawrence Fishburne, I don't think has told him they haven't had their conversation. There's like a, 10 second reveal when they're in a house somewhere before they go snowmobiling and cage is like yeah i think i I think we know like who the the real issue is and then boom they're snowmobiling and so you see this clip scene and it didn't surprise me that he fell but my immediate thought was there's no way that this is going to happen you know it, it it's like those movies where you have your big fish, your expensive fish. Like my, my example is always Sam Jackson in that crazy shark movie, Deep Blue Sea, where, (laughs) you know, it's like you see mediocre actors, but like, oh my God, Samuel L. Jackson is in this. And he only makes it four minutes. And my joke is always, that's the budget for Sam. They ran out of money. So they had to kill him (laughs) off. But, you know, Nick had made it all the way to the second half and it was such an unglorifying end for everyone that I thought there's no way that he dies, but realistically, there's no way he should live. I mean, there was literally a rocky stream below and he definitely should have been a lot more banged up than what we see, but it it didn't surprise me. I, I know it was supposed to, but it didn't. <laughs> As you say, the same for every twist and the one I guess was yeah. skirting around here is that uh, Lawrence Fishbourne's character lets Cage fall to his apparent death he's like oh i'm gonna take my chance with the cartel and it's the classic sort of um tv film rule which is basically if you don't see someone dead they're not dead there's a there's a 99 chance they're not dead uh right guess what dear listener he is not dead um <laughs> he hobbles back <laughs> I think he just sprained his back. He took like a hundred foot fall onto straight (laughs) rocks and lived. Um, Man's got a metal spine. So then after that, it's uh, we think Cage has been killed off so that um, Mm -hmm. the man could assume his position in the cartel and take that role. And but little does everyone know that um, Cage has tipped off the boss to say, like, oh, he's the guy who's been cutting into our products. I've got a red vial full of heroin. I can prove it because <laughs> science. Um, but they're all on to him. So then it becomes a ploy to, like, take him out. Um, and then we sort of learn that um, the guy in the nightclub at the start and the guy who was bound and gagged at the start is Lawrence mm-hmm. Fishburne's character who also, blink and you miss it, gets a bit of his arm sliced off and fed to a dog as well. Yeah, and, and also, like, that could have been not a good scene because obviously torturing people and feeding it to animals is bad, everybody. But, you know, it, it was just sort of put in just, well, let's freak everybody out. And it's like, if you're going to do that, like, go with that. Make that the one crazy scene. You're about to barbecue them. 
let's, you know, have a little bit more of this if we're going to go all the way, you know? Exactly. Like there could have been like um, an opportunity and, you know, this could have paid off. It could have been a bit of a, a misfire, but it felt like there was there was an opportunity there to sort of hammer home sort of the violence of the cartel, mm-hmm. the danger of the cartel. Um, and we get like just a quick little slice, a bit of the arm off, a bit off the top, Barbara, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, but then we just we just carry on with the scene and um, Lawrence Fishburne is cooked alive in CGI flames and mm-hmm. shot by the crutched cook. And then it sort of comes down to... And I'm interested if your thoughts on sort of... I guess the very final scene that we get here, which is um, uh, the agent in charge and the cook have this mm-hmm. kind of sit-down confrontation. And it kind of ends very... I suppose... Abruptly. <laughs> ab- ab- abruptly. It's a very abrupt end. And I guess thinking about it, I suppose there was only one way it could have ended. Mm-hmm. But did that ending work for you? Did you feel it was... Um, uh, justified in, in sort of the last scenes that we get there. I, that that scene did actually surprise me again because I expected um, the agent to have kind of that same conversation with the cook that she had with the boss, where when she talked to the boss, she's like, "I know it was you because of this and this and this," and he's like, "What can you prove?" And that again, unfortunately, could have been a really great part of that story that's the same situation that she has with um, Cage as the cook. She has some sort of circumstantial evidence. She knows it is, but you have to prove that in the court of law kind of thing. So I thought they're going to have a conversation. Maybe it's just like a look and it's like, I'll never stop looking for you or, you know, kind of thing. And then I expected it to end because I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of films, but good films and questionable films like this, that they're like, and we're going to end in three, two, one, go, whether it seemed final or not. Um, but this in some ways made sense because she had decided to go rogue, but also I was, it, it happened. And I, I, I was like, well, damn, movie's over. Time to go play <laughs> video games, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Now, um, to kind of, I guess, give it a bit, a bit more context. Um, I think for, for a lot of this film, Agent in Charge, Leslie Bibb, has uh, known who the players are in this cartel, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it, it's kind of um, glossed over, really, in the, and it's not really interested with um, the, the legal procedural element of things. It, she kind of said in this little speech that... Um, the issue with you guys is that you're always going to keep getting away with it and we just can't get you. Um, uh-huh. And we're in this kind of vicious cycle. And the the film was, well, the film has been trying to build to this. And again, as we've been saying with everything else in this film, it just under delivers because um, it doesn't necessarily feel earned and it just lacks the weight that it could and should have had for this big uh-huh. finale. And then they're just kind of sitting there, and then suddenly she just puts a clip into him, gets up and well, she picks up the bullet casings as well because this isn't her first crime scene, right? Exactly. <laughs> not not to mention that she touched the table and she okay. There's probably cameras seeing her go in, but we'll just pretend that part of the story wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> we finish on justice 
pure, <laughs> cold-hearted American justice. <laughs> um, but I think ultimately it just it ended, and it was. But I think, as with anything in this film, um, the most of a reaction it got from me was just, oh, and then yeah. it's, and then it's and then it's credits. And I was like, oh, oh, well, there's. You know, at least it was free on Amazon Prime, so that was that was something. Yeah. You know, every cloud. Um, so, so I suppose now, just looking back over the film, and as we uh, sort of come towards the end of uh, running with the devil here, uh, what would be your, uh, I guess, your Jerry Springer esque final thoughts on 2019's Running with the Devil? It's one of those films that you look at and you think this could be really great but it just falls flat. Even with good actors, it's just, you know, like I said, my metaphor, it's just too many things that we tried to put in and it just really misses the mark. It's not a film. If you don't ever get to watch this film, you're not really missing anything out of life. (laughs) (laughs) I think it comes under, um, again, a number of films in this, uh, this time frame when it's, uh, there's a lot of films where there's the seeds of a better idea in there. The mm-hmm. execution just hasn't quite pulled it off. There were ways to make this film more engaging, a lot tighter. Could and should have cut a lot of the characters down and explored the main characters that we had. Right. Um, because there was a very interesting blueprint for a lot of these characters, but uh, just more interested in cocaine and with everything in the film. It starts so quickly and doesn't give you the time to invest in anything in the first five, ten minutes that you'll spend the next 80 plus minutes going like, I kind of don't care. Right. Um, so so it, it set, as an audience member, it sets you up to fail right at the start. Um, so it ultimately comes under um, an unfortunately ever expanding, expanding category I call for the cage completionists. <laughs> um <laughs> So at the time of recording, if you have this in the UK, at least it's on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch it, that's you know I won't tell you what I won't tell you what to do. But better things than this are um, you no. Know, said I think I say watch Lord of War, watch uh, Traffic, yeah. and uh, Peg, Peg, get go pegging. That's <laughs> <laughs> much more, much more fun than that um but i think on that bombshell that's where we'll sort of start wrapping things up in regards to running with the devil from 2019 so it's left for me to say uh tammy thank you so much for joining me it's been a pleasure and a privilege to have you on the show um for the listeners where can we find you on uh, online and the socials and that such in the the universe, right? Um, so we're our podcast is internal cauldron of emotions from one of Nick's uh, interviews on Mandy, and we're on pretty much any place where you can download your podcast. We're you know Spotify, Apple, Google Cast, all of those good guys. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we just joined TikTok. That is my best friend Erin's job. She can hang out with the youths and I will be with the older people chatting on Twitter. So yeah, we'd love to come back also. Thank you so much for having us on. It was super fun. Again, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, Let me wrap up this week's episode. Uh, Thanks again to Tammy from the Internal Cauldron of Emotion podcast. Uh, So that brings it to an end. 
we will catch you in the next one thank you for listening if you have been and until next time as ever keep on keep on cajun it's all you have to do thank you take care and goodbye